Welcome to Business Talk, Sister Gok. I'm Becca, and today's podcast topic is how to start a mushroom foraging business. And this is actually part one of a two-episode series. And with me today, I have Cliff's Mushrooms, and I am so excited. Thank you for being with me today. Well, thank you for having me. I, uh, I'm excited to talk about it with the long spring we've had here. I'm ready to start. Yeah, I I am I've been waiting to do this podcast for almost a year now um, because I think I reached out to you as the season, maybe mushroom season was ending a couple, uh, at least a year ago and uh, thought this would be a good time. And when you reached back out, I was so excited. So <laughs> yeah, you know, people start really thinking about it in the spring. Everybody's sick of winter and, and uh, you know, the morel mushroom is what everybody's going to have on their mind soon. So yeah, timing should be good. Yeah. Okay. So the first question is, what do you do and kind of describe what that looks like? Well, what, what I do is uh, there are 12 uh, species of mushrooms that you can legally sell in Minnesota. If you're certified, you have to go through identification classes and pass tests. With that done, you can sell 12 types. And the 12 types that the Department of Ag will certify you in are types in nature that there are no lookalikes. So with the proper training, the 12 that I sell, there's nothing else out there that mimics them that can get you mm -hmm. in trouble. Um, there are, you know, literally thousands of edible types of mushrooms out in nature. And I see a, a lot of them, um, but they have lookalikes. They have ones that look very similar. And, you know, there are 54 types worldwide that have killed people. So it is wow. serious that, mm -hmm. you know, that you really know what you're doing and that's why there's a list of 12 that that you know you really can't get in trouble with if you've got the basic training okay yeah so why did you start doing this well you know i've i've always uh, i've been a lifelong you know hunter uh trapper um you know fishing you, you name it in the woods a lot and as as i you know got interested in this that uh, was probably 12, 14 years ago, I started with morels just for my own personal use. And over time, um, you know, learning how to read habitat, I, I became good at it. And there was a point where I couldn't possibly eat all the morels I was getting. And, uh, you know, and so that was, I, that was that way for, you know, quite some time. But after I retired and I had more time on my hands, um, I got to thinking about it as an opportunity that, uh, while I was out there turkey hunting or, you know, in the fall, bow hunting, whatever it was, if you can kill two birds at one stone, um, mm -hmm. I saw that as an opportunity that, you know, there was, there was a demand out there and, and maybe I could fill it. Yeah. Well, and I just think of uh, the farmer aspect of being able to grow things and then you have so much, you either have to preserve it or sell it or give it away. <laughs> so I could definitely yeah. uh, see that as you are getting proficient at finding mushrooms. So, well, and, and the key on that is, you know, it took many, many years to, to get good enough where you can look at a habitat, look at a piece of ground and you can eliminate 80% of it. If you know your tree species, your bush species, your, you know, the soil moisture, all those things go into it. And when you can eliminate 80% of what you're starting with, you know, and you focus on the 20 and you know the phenology of it. So you know what to look for in nature as far as when to look. Those are all factors that, you know, took a long time to get there. Um, uh, but uh, it's rewarding uh, when you can make all that work uh, to where you, you know, come up with big numbers. 
Yeah, no, I'm super excited about getting into that because when we were talking about this ep- episode and figuring out how we were going to do it, just some of the the quick tips you gave me were were so valuable, I thought, because I do enjoy going out in the woods and looking for things. So, um, so let's talk a little bit more about that aspect of how and why did you kind of decide that this is the best way to do what you're doing? Well, you know, I guess when I originally started, I thought, you know, I, you know, I don't want to work for anybody. Um, I've got time. If I could, you know, find something that I could do on my own schedule and, and combine it with other, uh, you know, pursuits such as hunting and, and, you know, hiking and fishing, whatever, that would be a win-win. And, and uh, so I originally, you know, set the you know, goalposts pretty low. I just thought, well, what if I could, uh, you know, just pay for, uh, you know, my turkey hunting um, in the spring, you know, that'd be a nice level. And, and mm-hmm. so I shot for that and very quickly, you know, exceeded that. And so over time, um, you, you learn techniques that, um, that you can produce more and more. Um, it's a, it's a ton of work, um, but you get better at it. And, and I guess that's probably what, what kind of interests me is there's a lot of satisfaction with being good at it. Yeah. So are there any specific rules around selling mushrooms, such as where you get them from or anything like that in that the states or the federal government has that we didn't already understand? Yes. I mean, number one, you need to be certified. So that's that's a big deal, um, you know, because you, you need to have gone through the training courses and, and know what you're doing. Um, secondly, um, private land uh, with permission and, you know, your own land um, is where sales and you know, mushrooms you sell come from. Um, if if you uh, want to harvest on, on uh, state and federal, most state and federal, you can for private uh, purposes, you know, eat them yourself, that's legal, even state parks. Uh, so a lot of people okay. don't know that, but, you know, for purposes of, of selling, um, I stayed a, you know, private with permission and, uh, and my own, and uh, there's plenty of ground out there. And I can go into that. I mean, that, that it's, you know, it's, it's so different than if you're asking to go deer hunt somebody's property, the, the answer is almost always no, they've already, they've already got family that's, that's into mm-hmm. that. But with mushrooms, as we get into, you know, some of the things you deal with out there, um, you know, it's such a high learning curve. There's just not the interest out there. And it, it's much easier. I've had, you know, quite often I have people when I'm selling that'll, that'll come in and uh, offer to let me look on their property. And, uh, you know, most of the time people aren't confident enough to do it on their own and, and for good reason. And secondly, um, they're just not interested in dealing with hordes of mosquitoes, wood ticks, um, high humidity, you would on the list. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of times it's not the most pleasant time to be in the woods. So there's just not that <laughs> competition. Yeah. I hear you. So how long does it take to get certified and how much does it typically cost? Is there a fee associated with that? Oh yeah. You know, there's always a fee. Um, they, uh, you know, when I did it about eight, eight, you know, eight to nine years ago, um, you had to go to Wisconsin to do it. And, uh, I had to go to three different courses, uh, drive to Wisconsin, you know, stay over, go to the course. And, uh, they taught you four different species at each course. Um, and each course was, and I'm thinking back, you know, 150, 175, somewhere in there. Um, so it took, you know, a lot of driving and, you know, there was, there was some hassle involved in it, but it was, there was a good courses and, uh, you know, you left there, you know, proficient, um, you know, I already knew a lot going in, but I learned a lot. 
and it helped me fine tune things. And, you know, and the other, the other thing is I, I met a couple key people that, uh, that have helped me along the way. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just a quick, quick story. Uh, there's a guy I met there that, uh, you know, when you think you're good at something like that, you just look a little bit and there's people that yeah. are so much better than you. <laughs> and uh, this gentleman had just passed, uh, it's called the Michigan expert test. And it's a 500 question test. You got to know the Latin names of all the mushrooms as well as the, uh, you know, the, the typical, and he only missed one out of 500. So you meet somebody like that. Um, they really know their mushrooms. And, and so he helped me quite a bit by being able to, uh, you know, send pictures, tell them what I think I have, those kind of things. And, and so that was key. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So as we're, I know this episode, we want to talk a little bit about the spring mushrooms and summer. Um, what are you preparing for? What does that look like as we have the snow melt here in Minnesota? Well, and th- this will kind of tie into why it's so difficult. Um, you know, on an average spring, you know, what's average, I guess, but let's say, let's say it starts uh, warming up in March. Um, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to get into morel somewhere between uh, May 5th and, and 10th, somewhere, you know, maybe 12th, somewhere in that zone. Um, but now with a year like this, uh, if I had to guess right now, it, it'll be the last week of May at the earliest and uh, maybe even a week, uh, the 10 days into June. Um, that's how long, uh, that's how much it can shift based on your spring. Cause it's all, it's all based on soil temperature when they flush, hmm. you know, a morel mushroom flushes at, at 54 degrees soil temperature and it quits at 70. So because of that, uh, you have a very narrow window there. It's mm-hmm. only a 10 day season for morels, which is why they're high priced, um, and hard to find. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. Cause I know, um, we had talked about if you have 10 days to harvest, what does that look like for trying to gather and then move them and all of that? And and what does that typically look like in how you're trying to make sure that they don't uh, spoil or anything like that? Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's a delicate balancing act. Um, the, uh, I guess, as far as gathering goes, um, you know, it, it's, it's long days. You start, you know, before light, I'm walking in and, and uh, you know, you got to have enough light to, to spot them. So there's, you know, as soon as you can see good enough, away you go. But it's, you know, those days are, you know, eight hour days uh, of gathering. Um, and the thing about a morel is, you know, when you're, when you get a transport at distance, you, you got to be very careful not to crush it. They're a delicate mushrooms. So I've figured out ways to, uh, you know, on a frame pack, to be able to, uh, you know, on kind of a series of shelves to be able to spread that weight out. And that's the key. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have say 70 pounds of mushrooms on a frame pack, you can't just put them all in, in one box and expect to have anything good when you get to the truck. So you gotta, you know, layer those out. And, you know, the faster you can get them in and out and gathered and then get them to your people, um, but, uh, you know, the better because, um, you know, any, any mushroom, you've got a shelf life of, you know, a week to 10 days if you keep mm. them nice and cool. So, so you, you're very, you want to do a very quick turnaround. And in the case of morale, since it's a narrow window, you know, most of the time I'll take, you know, a large batch, get those to people and then turn around immediately and, and, and head back out, you know. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about uh, when you say frame pack, that's a, a large like camping backpack, right? 
Yeah, and you know, it, I know we're going to get an equipment at some point, but you know, frame pack, most of this gear I've had because I, I hunt moose and elk and, and I'm into that that scene. Um, um, a frame pack, you know, for is, you know, a big pack that it's got good support, it's tall, um, you know, it, it's a pack you'd put your sleeping bag and all your camping gear in if you're going to go hunting elk for a week uh, back in, you know, so it, it's it, it's pretty heavy duty. Okay. So that's the first mushroom of the year. And what are, what are the things that you look for? Is it just the temperature or are there more things that people should be aware of? Well, you know, the morel is, there's a reason it's got the highest price point because it's really tough. Um, And what is, what is the price point on those normally? You know, the price point around, you know, Alex here, you know, is 50 a pound. Um, you you go toward the cities. I've, you know, heard of them going to for 90. Um, so, you know, it's all in, in how many, you know, your demand. Um, I, I keep my price point lower because I sell in volume. Um, I've had people drive from the cities here to, to get them where they'll come for all their friends and, you know, buy 15 to 18 pounds because um, it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's that's kind of the range that it runs in. And of course, on a dry year when nobody's got any, eh, you know, then it goes up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Okay. So let's get back to that. Sorry. We were, I I got a little off track there. So, um, as you're, as you're gathering these, you have all of your stuff, then how do you, um, educate your customers on the, on the use of them? Um, how do you contact your customers when you have them ready? What does that look like? Well, you know, the main thing with a wild mushroom that, you know, I'm kind of underlined to everybody is you always want to cook a wild mushroom, never, ever eat a raw wild mushroom. And I know people do it and, and they get away with it, you know, most of the times. But the thing about a morel specifically is if you eat a bunch of them when they're raw, they have a chemical in them that heating and sauteing um, destroys. And that chemical can make you sick, depending on your genetics. Some people don't do well with it. So if you hear about people getting sick on a morel, it's because they ate them raw or undercooked. So you stress that with, you know, all your customers, the other, other mushrooms don't have that chemical in it, but you know, you don't have control of your environment out in the woods. Cause so there could be other bacteria on it that you're not aware of. So by, by always sauteing and cooking a wild mushroom, you eliminate that possibility. Okay. So, uh, and then when you have them ready to go, do you just meet everyone in one spot? How do they know that the mushrooms are in. Well, and that that's um, um, I've I've met key people over time, and so I started a I started a private text list that I people that are uh, you know that are into it where they would like to get a get mushrooms on a weekly or or say it's just morels. I have a list that that people are just into morels. I just text people that you know I've got them. Um, I can meet you at a, at a certain spot at two o'clock in the afternoon, and I'll send that text out to maybe all you know seventy five people. The people that, you know, that grab that meeting space, I meet them, mark them off my list and I, and I send out other alternatives. So I'll say, okay, now I'm available at this time. And, and, and eventually with, you know, four or five meets, you can, you know, you can get, get, get mushrooms to people. Yeah. Okay. You were mentioning specific species of trees and all of that. Uh, what environment is best to look for the morels? Well, there's there's two types of relationship with a morel mushroom, and this took a while to figure out. Um, there's the dead elm relationship, and it's a good one, but it's not nearly as good as the live ash relationship. And the difference is that when when an elm tree dies, 
uh, most of the time elms have morel uh, mycelium. And mycelium is, is the root system of a mushroom. And that root system, um, you know, actually entwines with certain uh, tree species. Uh, one of them is the, you know, is, is the elm and the other is the ash um, and, and many other bushes you find them in. But the key there is that the elm tree, when it dies, it sends out a signal to the, the, to the mycelium that it's dying. And that, that's what really makes morels flush because what they're doing is the, you know, what, what we call the mushroom is just the fruiting body um, of that system of that mycelium so really the mycelium is far bigger than the body of the mushroom that we harvest and what that morel is doing when the elm dies is it's 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 spreading its spores it knows the host tree is dying and so it, it, it has a big flush of fruiting bodies to get those spores out of the wind so it propagates its future hmm. follow me so far mm-hmm the problem with that is it's, a, it's good for about four years. Once the bark starts falling off that elm tree, it's about done. So mm -hmm. that, that's, you know, it's good for a while, but you're always looking for the next spot. The, the much better relationship is if you can find them relating to live trees and, and specifically ash is where, where I uh, do the best. And the key there is there for whatever reason, um, sometimes you don't know the reason, but they, they, they have this relationship with live trees and they fruit every spring, again, to get the spores out. But it'll go on forever as long as that ash tree is alive, um, mm -hmm. you know, and those are the types of spots that are far more, uh, I guess, valuable for, for long term than, than the dead elm. Uh, not that I don't look around dead elms. I certainly do. But um, it's a short term uh, situation. Mm. Yeah, I was. OK, so many thoughts I have on that. OK, so. The next question I have is, how do you incorporate uh, travel? Does it look like going to other parts of the United States or do you just stay busy here as a seasonal business? Yeah, strictly seasonal. And I guess the key that I would underline there is you really have to have total control of your schedule. Um, if you're not retired, you just can't do it to, to the level that it takes to, you know, to uh, provide a couple restaurants, farmers markets, and, and private folks. You just it it takes me, you know, on average anywhere from twenty to you know twenty five hours a week to 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 do this. Um, so you got to have control of your time. That that's that's the number one. And the, and the number two thing is is financially you can't depend on it. And I'll just give you an example. I mean, morels when things are right, um, you know, I can come up with one hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty pounds of morels in that 10 day window, mm -hmm. when you get a dry stretch, same areas. Um, when, when I've had bad dry years, it's been as low as eight pounds. Hmm. Yeah. You know, wow. So, so you can't be depending on it. Um, so uh, with that said, you know, keep the overhead low. Yeah, I do. I do some traveling. I don't go out of state. Um, you know, I don't, don't need to, I can stay, you know, Within a, within a few hours, anyway. Sometimes I'll you know I'll go I'll go up uh, north um, and uh, you know spend some days up there, but you know I sleep in the back of the truck on a on a cot in a sleeping bag. Uh, you know, bring your own food. You know, keep it keep it very low budget. And uh, quite frankly, you don't have a lot of time. You're out all day anyway, so you just need a place to sleep. Yeah, well, and I was just thinking. I know for 
for mushroom gathering that I've done, it's a lot more, you start in the Southern part of the state and as things heat up, you have a little bit more time if you just keep moving North with the, the weather. Yeah, you do. There are people that chase the whole morel. I mean, there's people that do it in multiple, multiple States and they, you know, start down in Arkansas and work all the way up into Canada. Really? Um, yeah. There are people that do that. Um, I guess uh, I find that after about 20 to 25 hours a week, it becomes work. And, uh, you <laughs> know, it's not as not, <laughs> I like to take my kids fishing and, and, you know, I want to keep, keep my schedule retired. You know, I, it, when it starts to become work, I start winding it down. I, I want to enjoy it, you know? Mm -hmm. So are there any special harvesting techniques or efficiencies that you've incorporated into your process to make either finding them faster or making sure that they come back the next year better, anything like that? Well, kind of both on that topic. I mean, I, you know, I just underline that, you know, the reason there's not a lot of people doing it is, you know, you really need to know your, your tree species and, and you need to know it by bark and not just by leaves. Um, you know, when, when I'm, you know, out and about the rest of the year hunting and, and traveling, I mean, I'm always looking and, and knowing, knowing, you know, the, how to identify trees and, and that that's just so key into it. So if you don't have that, you, you got to learn that first. So with that said, you know, I've already said ash and elm are, are big, um, but you, you want to really watch your soil moisture. So, you know, if conditions are perfect, you'll find, you know, morels on top of ridges. Um, but if it's at all dry, you want to focus your, your uh, attention down the ridge lines, bottom of ravines, where moisture is going to, you know, settle and, and be higher. Mm -hmm. um, so again, you can eliminate and we're talking about morels a lot, but chanterelles is another one like that. I mean, if you've got a lot of rain, you can find them on top of ridges, but most of the time you're finding those, you know, side ridges, um, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we'll get into, you know, southern exposure is going to go first on a ridge. Uh, for morels, I mean, you'll, you'll get a flush on the, uh, uh, with a southern exposure a week before the stuff on the north side of the ridge with the northern mm -hmm. exposure will go. Um, so those are all things that you kind of learn over time, um, but they're important. Yeah, this is probably one of the most technical podcasts I've done in a very long time. So I, I'm personally enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you are, you know, and the, you know, the, 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 the thing I, I talk to a lot of people that, you know, that, that kind of have, you know, have the, the viewpoint that it really must be fun. You know, it's kind of like walking in the park, uh, you know, it's beautiful and, the problem with it is there are days that are like that, but there are an awful lot of days where, you know, you're into really heavy cover. And uh, a lot of the areas I carry, a, you know, a shears, a brush cutter shears and a small saw. And, you know, to be able to just to make very narrow pathways, uh, if you know what prickly ash is, or they call it buckthorn, just a nasty uh, uh, exotic species that's everywhere. And it, it'll mm -hmm. just rip you. And, uh, so it, it's a lot of times you combine that with the bugs and the heat and it, 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 yeah, I start very early that that's why I'm out at first light and I try to wind her up. If it isn't morels, if it's summer and fall mushrooms, I try to wind her up by 10, 10 30 because it gets too oppressive. Okay. Yeah. So what sort of marketing or, or anything like that do you do for your business for people to find out about you and what does that look like? Well, you know, I haven't done a lot. Um, you know, I, I sell to a couple restaurants in, in Alex, a La Firm restaurant, and then Pike and Pint. Um, so I keep my cards there. I have business cards that I, I keep there. 
Um, you know, I sell at the home city farmer's market. So you get a lot of word of mouth. People, you know, find you and, and they hand out cards. Uh, so you get a lot of word of mouth that way. Um, and then everything's done over text. So, you know, I get random texts and on a regular basis, all, you know, spring, summer, and fall. And even people, <laughs> people from the Minneapolis that are <laughs> driving up on the interstate and want to know what I have. And then I'll just meet them at the, you know, the interstate exit or whatever on the way to the cabin. And so I sell, you know, they kind of just spread by word of mouth. So I haven't, you know, I don't have a website. Um, but with that said, you know, I'm going to probably try to do one more market this, this spring or this summer. I'm going to add one more in, but that's probably going to be my max capacity. I, you know, mm. I'm, I'm selling, you know, there, there's, there's enough demand where I'm to the point where, you know, I, I, I'm probably going as hard as I want to go. Put it that yeah. Way. So what's the ratio of harvesting to actually um, being at farmer's markets, selling, going to restaurants? What does that look like? Well, it's been a pretty good ratio. I, you know, if I got a 25 hour weekend, you know, I probably got five hours into selling and 20 hours into searching. Um, oh, okay. You know, so, yeah, and, but that may take those 20 hours, if I take four days, maybe five, um, you know, again, try to start at first light and be done by 1030, you know, if possible. Um, but there are those days, you know, say a restaurant has a, you know, a big event coming up and it, it's funny how it is. I look for wind. I mean, wind is my friend, especially in the summer when the bugs are heavy and, you know, the way it usually works is when you really need them and, and you got to produce, uh, it'll be dead calm and humid and you just got to go deal with it. Um, but that's not what you want. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So are you allowed to sell at grocery stores too, or is that not something that most people do? Well, you can, um, you know, I haven't went down that route because of course, then you're going to have to individually package, you know, maybe pound, half pounds and you know, do that, you know, every four or five days to keep them fresh and all that. So there'd be a lot of logistics in that for one guy, I, you know, with the farmer's markets, you know, people show up to buy them. And, and so you can sell very quickly at farmer's markets. And then of course, a restaurant, they can buy a large amount at the same time. So I just haven't even went that direction because, you know, because I, I guess I'm to the point where, you know, unless I, unless I went full time into it, uh, I just wouldn't have the capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about what other spring and summer uh, mushrooms are of the 12 that people should be keeping an eye out for. Well, there's, there's some interesting ones that um, there's, there's a mushroom called the pheasant back that um, it gets mixed reviews. But most of the time people don't really know how to cook it. So you, you, you really want to cook that mushroom, um, uh, slow, low heat, and then, and then you want to not overcook it. And that, and that's a mushroom. I'll kind of get into some, a little bit more of details here. A morel mushroom is mycorrhizal. And what that means is that that mushroom actually has a relationship with tree roots and bushes, um, different types of vegetation. It actually intertwines its roots with those, uh, trees in bushes and it provides like phosphorus and nitrogen for the, the tree. Um, the tree provides, uh, you know, it allows it to tap into deep root systems and get moisture. So you have that symbiosis going there. The difference now, we're going to switch types of mushrooms. Now, now you're going to get, get into a, a saphotrophic mushroom. Now that mushroom is, is like a pheasant back that actually grows off cellulose. So it grows off of wood um, off the tree. So in the mm -hmm. case of pheasant back, um, it, it will be actually on wood and specific types of wood. It likes, you know, it likes, uh, well, box elder, it likes quite a bit. Uh, that's probably a primary one. 
And that relates also to the next one called the chicken of the woods mushroom. That's also you know, saphotrophic where mm -hmm. it actually eats the tree. Um, and that one's more of a late spring in the summer mushroom. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've heard that it depends on the tree that it's growing on too, right? Um, because I think, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm wrong in this, but, and correct me if I am, for chicken of the woods, if it's on a pine, it's maybe not as good for your tummy as say <laughs> like in like a different kind of tree or is, is that accurate or no? That is true. Yeah, that was that's a that's a key one because it picks up anything that's coniferous. It, it'll pick up something from that tree that makes it uh, yeah really tough on your stomach. It, it can poison you. So with that said, um, again, tree identification is really important. But I, I've done an awful lot of grouse hunting and and covering ground up north, and I've never seen one on a pine. Um, it's always been on mm. an ash or an oak. Um, okay. But again, very important to know uh, the difference between those just by bark. Uh, I've never encountered one that, that I, I couldn't take, but probably a key on some of those is knowing when there's a cycle to them. Um, mm -hmm. When they first emerge, they're full of moisture and they're, they're taking moisture from the tree. But in the case of the chicken of the woods, you want to you wanna get that mushroom within four days after it emerges. Um, because what ends up happening is over time, it, it, you know, it cycles through to where it's quit, it quits growing. So then it starts to dry out and the texture on that mushroom ch changes. And also you've got bugs that'll get into them. So it's mm -hmm. very critical and kind of back to having control of your time. Um, I'm constantly watching the radar, you know, all summer uh, for moisture. And anytime I get, you know, a rain event, uh, wherever it is in the area that I, that I gather, and I'm watching that. And then three days after, in the case of chicken of the woods, I'm out and, you know, starting to, to run these areas because they'll grow that fast. That moisture will make them pop, make them flush. And within three to four days, they're ready to harvest and they're going to be prime at that point. Mm, okay. So it's a really big relationship with the weather patterns um, to be prepared for. So what, yeah. and, and you were telling me there's one that comes within 24 hours of a rain, right? Yep, that's a tough one. That, that one's the hard one, the por the porcini, and it's a high demand mushroom. Boy, when I can get them, I, I can I can sell them. Um, but they're they're very quick. Um, took me a long time to figure that out. You can't wait, um, you know, three days after rain event for those. On those, you need to be out there within twenty four hours. They're that fast. They go from nothing to a very nice big. You know, they can be up to a pound. Really, uh, in, in twenty four to thirty six hours. And they go equally downhill as fast. They turn real mushy and, and inky. The bugs find them. Um, so you don't have a window there. You've got very narrow windows. So, um, so again, rain events. I'm watching that radar, and if I'm in, if I'm in that that time period, you know, for Porcini, it's you know mid July uh, through August and into September too. Um, but if I'm in that that time frame, and I see a rain event, I'll look at my week and go, okay, I had a rain event. I got to hit the Porcini spots immediately, you know, hit those spots. And then at the three to four day mark, then hit the chicken of the woods or the chanterelle or whatever you're after. So that, that takes a while to figure out. Yeah. Well, and I want to, we're going to, we're going to keep going with this conversation in the next episode, because I do have more questions, but um, how can people find you? Well, um, always available on my phone. Um, you know, it's Cliff's Mushrooms and, and the, the number is 
two four one nine, and I'm I'm act act actively adding people to the morel mushroom list right now, and uh, so that you know I, I've got a list that are people that are just into that, and I've also got a list that people that are into all their other ones, and and you know there's some people that buy weekly, some buy monthly, you know some some is just morels. I feel as if you are selling an illegal product. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny when I when I meet people in various parking lots and sell them off the tailgate. I, I keep waiting to get uh, shook down here, but it hasn't happened yet. So, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it must be. Uh, you know, usually, I've got twenty pounds of mushrooms on the tailgate, so it probably speaks for itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, tell me a little bit about for the gawk portion of this episode, this morel experience that you had that was uh, put you in a little bit of a pickle. Yeah, yeah, it was a pickle, you know, and you, again, you think you're good at something, and then, you know, life throws you a curveball, and you learn as you go. Um, long story short, as I it was on a run last year, where frame pack, and I was heading in at least a mile from the road, and uh, I knew I could get 20 to 30 pounds in this area. Long story short, as I, I, I could see big weather systems coming, and you know, like big, like high wind, and hail, you name it. And uh, I was trying to beat it. And I got in there and I got my, you know, I got my 30 pounds on the frame pack and I was coming out. And it's funny how your brain, it, it, it gets a visual to where you're not even thinking about the mushroom and I'll spot them. And so I was walking, you know, with the frame pack, it was reasonable weight at that point, 30 pounds. And I caught something out of my eye and, and the nettles, but knee high nettles, saw morel. So I stopped and started looking. And here I found the best patch I've ever found in 20 years. Um, and I can mm -hmm. hear the thunder building, you know, in the distance. And long story short, in, in about a, oh boy, in about an hour, I probably took another 40 pounds um, out oh. of the patch. And I could hear the storm coming. And so at that point, I had somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 pounds on my pack frame. And these are cardboard, <laughs> <That's insane>. <laughs> cardboard <laughs> boxes in in uh, in layers um, with bungee cords and you know it, you know it, it it's quite a contraption when you're coming out with it but it's all it's all based you got to have the structure to prevent crushing and so what ended up happening was I you know I, I took the storm right in the teeth and it it started pouring hailing pouring lightning you name it and my boxes started disintegrating. So I, I'm to the point where, you know, I'm still a mile from the truck. What do I do? And what I figured out to do was I, I broke uh, branches and I put them in between the layers of, of the boxes, which of course added weight, but what are you going to do? Um, that, that gave me the structure. So I didn't crush everything. And so I got it, I got it all on the frame pack and I had to go across, you know, quite a big opening and it was lightning, you name it. And, and it, it took, you know, it, it took about an hour to get out of there. Mm. But, but what I learned from that is that um, two things, uh, I'm going to switch it. It's too hard on your back. I'm 57 now, and it's getting tougher and tougher. Um, I, I would switch to a deer cart. So instead of having them all, you know, in one, you know, layer layer with all that pressure mm -hmm. laying them out on a deer cart on wheels the disadvantage is and i was in heavy brush that day so that that has its own problems but that would you know that will will bring them so they're not crushing each other and then you know have extra rain gear over so you can roll them out so i mean i've thought through that but i when i look back at it i, I mean, it was it was all that work and you know 70 pounds of morels if they all went to, to waste it would have been uh it would have mm -hmm. been a pretty big bummer but but it worked out but you learn 
Yeah, no, yeah. Well, thank you for being with me this week. I am super excited for next week for sure. Well, this went really quick. I mean, we barely scratched the surface. I've enjoyed I it. Know. And, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, and if you have enjoyed this episode, you should listen to the next one coming up. We're going to be finishing this conversation with Cliff's Mushrooms, and you should give it a review on Spotify, and we'll see you next time.